Hello everyone and welcome to episode 14 of Strangers in the Cinema. I'm Paul here with Pete. Hey man, how's it going? I'm good, I'm good. We've got quite a lot to talk about today, quite a big week in film, the Oscars. Yeah, huge and very, very sort of long and a bit tiring by the end of it, let's be completely honest. But interesting stuff to pull from that, so we'll get to that in the so middle section of today's show. We're going to talk about the Oscars, as we've just said, but before that, we're going to talk about films what we have seen and stuff yeah man like last time we still we... need a better title for that don't we but... yeah it really it's a work in progress it has <laughs> been for months but last time we packed the show full of reviews and more reviews I think there were seven or eight in total obviously there were a glut of new releases that we needed to get through and the show didn't have its normal structure that kind of three act structure that people are beginning to the know classic and, three act structure yeah I mean but, you know it and you love it right guys the uh, the 50 or so loyal <laughs> listeners that we have although on that point man we're getting more listeners I've noticed increments of tens tens of extra listeners are, are piling onto our show so a day or uh, per, per episode maybe <laughs> ambitiously I'd say so but as we mentioned on the last show, I think that's pretty cool, really, that people are paying an interest in, in the show. It is cool that more more people are listening. Yeah. And people, are, people are coming back to listen to us again, which is also quite nice. So please, please listen to today's. Yeah. And please come back for more. Yeah, don't go away, man. You've started listening to this. You might as well listen to all of it. Where are you going? Work. You need something to do in the meantime. Listen to this show. We've also had a lot of positive feedback from, from people who've listened to the episodes, which I'm delighted about. So... Yeah, roll that into the enthusiasm that we give to this first review. Yes, and the first review being Michael Mann's latest film, one of my personal favourite directors, uh, Black Hat, which, did it make our most anticipated list or was it a close runner-up? It I, may have been a runner-up, I, I think. I it? have a feeling it was, it was sort of an also-ran. It, it was also-ran on the list. Close, um, ran, it's yeah. absolutely tanked um, worldwide box office, which I think is a terrible shame because I think it's a very, very competent, thriller mm. with a subject matter that may just be a little bit too dry for some people yeah i mean to speak to what you mentioned i noticed uh, t- yesterday today that the metacritic score that it's hanging around on at the moment is somewhere around the 51 percent mark that's which quite low obviously i don't put too much stock in in sort of imdb user reviews scores they can be a bit reactionary and they tend to inflate a film that's got a wider release and so on but in the case of metacritic because it's aggregating critic reactions it tends to be a reasonable gauge of the the critical reception i mean film, you were right? you were saying to me earlier that people have written some really really nasty things about this film yeah and it's just it's not a very it's not a bad film and let's back it up for back. a moment because yeah, yeah we're, we're talking about the critical response the film itself then is yes as, as paul's mentioned is michael mann's return to the screen as director it's been a number of years since he made something Public uh, Enemies I think was, his, was Public Enemies his pu- last Public Enemies M- Miami Vice which one's first Public Enemies Public probably Enemies most, most recent film, yeah, yeah. Um, it's great to have him back Chris Hemsworth is at the helm of, of this thing as a cyber hacker who is released from prison on the condition that he is going to work alongside um, the a, US and Chinese authorities. Yeah, a task force who are given the, the task of tracking down a gang or maybe individual responsible for wide scale cyber crime. Who is right? in fact the titular black hat, not black cat, it's yeah, quite difficult. We, we've black talked hat. about this quite a bit. The it's, black hat hacker. I I, I fascinatingly inform Paul about the fact that black hat sounding like black cat is an example of elision within uh, 
for knee mix. I don't think he was really too interested in that. No, and nor are our listeners. Yeah, so <laughs> weird title. I don't think the title has necessarily helped the box office. I think that's fair. No, the title say. hasn't helped the box office. The subject matter I don't think has helped the box office. I, for one, found it quite interesting. I thought the plot was very clever. I won't give anything away, but it is quite very, very relevant to the tech industry. If you don't know about the tech, the tech industry and kind of what is a very expensive resource in the world today, you would probably come out of it going, that's just a bit of a dull plot device, to be perfectly honest. And there is a lot of terminology thrown in that unless you know a little bit, a bit about IT, that will probably go straight over your head. But at the same time, I think it's kind of a shame it hasn't hit bigger because it is a very real threat that we are facing. Yeah, I think I remember saying when we came out of this, because we saw the, the same screening yesterday, that I feel as if you need to meet Michael Mann with this film, or you kind of need to meet the film on its own terms. Mm. Because if you engage with it as this fairly dense, as you're kind of as you're alluding to, sort of dense technical exploration of very real world, you know, up to date of the moment cybercrime, then you trust in the the filmmaker and you think you know i might not and i didn't understand all the terminology in this thing quite honestly like yes i have some knowledge of it but nothing beyond the normal person i I wouldn't say but yeah i I kind of disregarded worrying about that too much and sort of tried to engage with this character played by chris hemsworth and then his um accomplice on this mission who he becomes romantically involved with he's kind of got an accomplice who is a a male and then the guy's sister is his love interest essentially uh, during the plot and Viola Davis who plays the the detective who's leading their little and I think all the I think Chris Hemsworth once again proves that he is he's going to be a very good leading man I enjoyed his enjoyed his performance I thought he was decent yeah I did enjoy his performance I mean I think that there were moments where there was some real chemistry and, and quite sort of authentic chemistry with the female lead and I shouldn't forget her name I wrote it down her name is uh, Wai Tang the guy as well is called uh, Lee Hong Wang and those two I recognise from somewhere and it is uh, the movie Lust Caution Ang Lee's uh, movie yes. Lust Caution yeah. they were both together in that and they're reunited in but this I thought I knew the faces from somewhere uh, yeah both. but I, I thought there was like real uh, bit of chemistry between them and then uh, I, I'm stumbling over this because I've already told you that I was going to say it, but I would think I thought at some point it was kind of what I'm going to term Hemsworthian blankness. <laughs> this is scenes with Chris Hemsworth where he he comes over. I, I feel like it's maybe it's a cheap shot, but he comes over a little bit dumb, like the way that um, that we were talking about Channing Tatum, you know, mm. um, and some people's criticism of him is he seems like a bit of a blank slate, and that worked really well in. Um, Foxcatcher recently because that was perfect for the character Hemsworth here I think is as you say a really exciting lead and he's going to do great things there are times where slightly miscast as sort of a super intelligent hacker I I kind of I did like the fact that they cast against type by putting like a stocky for want of a better word hunk in the role I thought that was quite nice not to see your usual geeky hacker, hacker type and that is, there is a plot device that does kind of explain Well, that. there's a get-out, yeah. He's, he's worked on his mind yeah. and bo- body whilst he was in Which prison. Which is kind of so, a quick get-out. Yeah. But maybe Chris Evans might have been a better leading man in this role, because I think Chris Evans is a slightly more, is a definitely more convincing leading man. 
yeah. thinking back to stuff like Snowpiercer. I mean, he is equally, you know, sunshine ripped. And those kind of stuff. They are yeah. both absolutely. I mean, when Chris Hemsworth takes his shirt off in this thing, Jesus, it's like you remember that movie where uh, they say that Ryan Gosling looks like he's photoshopped. <laughs> I mean, this is a, a real example of that. The guy's so symmetrical, man. But it's but going back, going back to the film as a whole. If you're a fan of Michael Mann, there's a lot to like here. If you're a fan of thrillers, there's a lot to like here, I think. Yeah. And I, it's not a terrible film. Do not avoid it because it's got a bad box office. And I would say, don't discount most of the bad... Do discount most of the bad reviews because it's not Michael Mann's best film. It's not Heat. But there's a lot worse films yeah, you could and, be watching. And no one, no one shoots nighttime you know, cityscapes at night like Michael Mann, I don't think. I mean, very few film directors mm. create the kind of nighttime, uh, global, international atmosphere that he's created with this. I mean, this film's constantly moving from continent to continent on this on this pursuit of cyber criminals. But these places are shot through with that exciting kind of um, bracing Michael Mann style, I think. And it's a very relevant, very interesting subject matter. So I think very hard done by Black Hat, I think, from critics and in terms of box office take. And I think yeah. it would be a shame if Michael Mann doesn't get another big film as a result of it. And I think there is a very real chance he may not, which would be Yeah, shame. you've got to hope it gets some kind of second life on um, the home formats mm. on, on DVD and Blu-ray, because I think there is an audience for this kind of movie. And yeah. you, you would like to think there's a bigger audience than perhaps there is, but... Fingers crossed, as you say, that Michael Mann goes on to do something um, interesting mm. with his next movie, and hopefully that's not set six years away or whatever the gap is. Yeah, since the fingers last crossed. One. Fingers crossed. What else have you seen this week, Pete? Right, yeah, something a little bit at left field here, but it definitely has had some attention, particularly um, from uh, the kind of I don't want to call it the sight and sound crowd because I'm a, a big fan. <laughs> the indie but, scene, the indie yeah, circuit, it's perhaps. kind of big in the in the indie scene. This is a 2013, right at the end of 2013, probably 2014 here, a film called Computer Chess, which is directed by a guy called Andrew Bukowski. Or Bajalski, I might be murdering his name as we're we're going names that, that come if, up. When, if and when we remember them, <laughs> yeah, this this guy I, I believe is is best known for the film Funny Haha, which I haven't caught up with yet, but did decent indie business in two back in two thousand and two. He's yeah heavily involved in that scene. Anyway, the film itself is set in the nineteen eighties at a chess tournament that pits man against machine. Um, well, sorry, I say man against machine. It's not man against machine. It's machine against machine. Uh, so essentially, two computers are yeah. playing each other so, at chess. So this film is a comedy, but it is a sort of very, very <laughs> a, a comedy. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a comedy, but it <laughs> okay. is a, it, an incredibly it's sort of like incredibly dry comedy. The sort of comedy that if you weren't aware that it was a comedy, you might not realise. Okay, um, and I think. There's a lot of very knowing, very um, subtle humour in this film that isn't going to be for everyone. Mm. The thing is shot in 4-3 format. Okay. It's got the look of being made in the 1980s, although it was made in you know a couple of years ago. Uh, and it's, it's slyly funny, more than sort of laugh out loud. So or clever, your face clever funny. funny yeah. and, and also the kind of film that I think I'm going to have to go back to because there are moments where you notice things like they mentioned that the characters in the film have been moving through the rooms in correspondence to the movements of particular chess pieces whilst at the chess tournament that's taking place pitting computer against computer which sort of boggles the mind when you first think about someone setting up their production in that kind of way but I think there are a lot of little hidden 
bits and pieces that you could pick up on a second mm. view. And like I say, it's not going to be for everybody. But weird connection to something that we'll talk about later. Who does crop up in this is an actor by the name of Wiley Wiggins. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. This is the guy, if anything, you'll know for being the sort of guy in his early 20s in uh, Linklater's Waking Life. Okay. Who's yep. walking through those sort of dreamscape environments. Really odd to kind of see him here in a completely mm. different setting and obviously a, a deal older than he was then. But yeah, an oddity, but maybe worth checking out if any of what I've just said sounds even vaguely <laughs> interesting. What, what about you, man? What have you got? Well, speaking of vaguely interesting, a film that wasn't and isn't is the Wachowski Brothers' latest offering. Uh, I say the Wachowski Brothers, I rescind that. The Wachowski's latest... Siblings, Wachowski yeah. siblings' latest offering, I apologise. Jupiter Ascending. It got pushed back from a summer release of last year. Um, it's a big budget sci-fi epic with Channing Tatum and Mila Kunis. Sean Bean pops up, um, talks a load of old bollocks. <laughs> is, it, is it as bad? Because you've seen this and I haven't seen this. Is it as bad as you're led to believe by quite a lot of the press that it's got? Because we're talking about Black Hat, like kind of underrated. Is this underrated or is it just rated fair? I wish I, wish I could say it isn't terrible, but it for the most part it, it really is the plot is Mila Kunis finds out she's an, a princess I think uh, and owns the earth perhaps Sean Bean turns up and talks about bees not being able to lie um, <laughs> which yeah under discussed um, that topic in I, films I can't really tell you much what it was about um, and it is such a shame because it's one of those films where it's got such a commanding visual style and it looks absolutely stunning and you sit there and go I really wanted to like it I've heard that I a lot I really wanted the critics to be wrong yeah and they're, they're just not it's just it's a shambles that's funny because I've heard exactly that from critics as well like I, I wanted to like this I wanted to like it I had a soft spot for Cloud Atlas because I did I thought Cloud Atlas as much as it is kind of a mess I came out of that more with more sort of good than bad in my mind anyway whereas this thing I hear everyone sort of you know who, who was into that movie or Wachowskis in general are saying I wanted to but couldn't really like it yeah, I just struggled all the way through. The, the plot's non-existent. The, the special effects are good. There's some good set pieces, but they have absolutely no context. Some of the bits of, of Tatum just sort of flying around on gravity boots are just bizarre. Eddie Redmayne, who I'm not a fan of anyway, which I'm sure we'll touch on later, is just is, awful. This is vitriol coming from your direction. Yeah, Eddie, Eddie Redmayne, Redmayne. Is, is just awful. Um, yeah, I think um, it's just not very good, unfortunately. And again... I can see the Wachowski siblings, much like Michael Mann, struggling to get another big budget picture. But in this case, deservedly so. Avoid. <laughs> damning. Really damning. Uh, something that you shouldn't avoid, then. Let's go positive on this thing. And again, linking to the Oscars, we're trying to sort of frame the, the episode with this sort of Oscar thing, I guess. But... This is 20 Feet from Stardom, which won, actually, uh, the documentary, best documentary at last year's Oscars. Is This is the film that I avoided in a grump because it beat... Uh, Searching Sugar Man? No. No. Uh, oh, um, the... The documentary we both really love that we've both now completely forgotten the name of. Yes. Uh, the Act of Killing. Yeah, it beat uh, Act of Killing to the Oscar last year, and then it, grumpily I've avoided it. Yeah, I mean, I can understand why you do that, because uh, The Act of Killing is fantastic, but this thing is good too, mm. and I can see why it ran away with that award. Uh, it's... I, can't, 
I don't know how to put this into words. It's the kind of documentary that feels like very. It's very well made. It's very competently made and it's the kind of thing that if it cropped up on television you know you stumbled across it late at night it would be a superior documentary I'm not necessarily sure that you would have rushed to the cinema to see this if it had a run I don't think it needs that but on streaming and home video and stuff it's good the basis for 20 feet from stardom um, was released in 2013 is that there are a set a subset of performers who are those basically overlooked these are the backing singers and so in this film we're introduced to all manner of backing singers those backing singers who have graduated to being front line you know recording artists in their own right Cheryl Cheryl Crow being one of those who started off as a backing singer and moved into sort of lead performer and then those who have stayed in the shadows throughout their career some of whom have made pretty small amounts of money out of what they've done but the amazing thing is the list of people that these backing singers have supported work with and been absolutely integral to the success of like they've added so much to records that you know love i mean people like ray charles uh, david bowie michael jackson stevie wonder it's kind of like a who's who of major recording artists and then behind them you've never met these people you have no idea who they are and they're phenomenal i mean some mm. of them are, are, are so so talented and i don't want to miss off names and i'm not going to run through everybody but particularly darlene love um, and mary clayton figure in a big way in this thing and finally, there is also um, a recording artist called Judith Hill, who worked on one of Spike Lee's recent movies, who is younger by, relatively speaking, with the others. She's early 30s now, I think, who is, again, extremely talented, now getting the attention that a lot of these singers of a previous generation never really got. So, yeah, maybe, again, it's not going to go to the top of your list, perhaps but 20 feet from stardom is certainly worth checking out okay what have you got next see no evil 2 oh oh it'd be probably very similar to uh 20 feet from stardom i would imagine i would imagine probably not <laughs> um see no evil 2 is a sequel um to see no evil which was an average so pro- probably below average to be fair um horror slasher starring wwe's very own kane yes he's back right um He's back in Cena Evil 2, and the reason I gave Cena Evil 2 the time of day is because it's directed by the Soska sisters, who directed the quite fantastic American Mary, which I think I've is heard one so of the, much about this American Mary, and I which still I think is one of the best it. horror films of recent years. So it was intriguing to see that the, the 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 directors would then just take on a sequel to a very lackluster original film. So. It didn't really need to explain the plot on this one because the group of kids go to Does it feature location. like a meat hook? All I can think of this movie, the, the original, is the there guy's is face with a meat yeah. hook on yeah, it. Yeah, right? there there meat hooks do feature. It's heavily gory. However, the reason it's worth talking about, and I think the reason they did it, is because it's very interesting to see some very talented directors just do a straight-up genre piece and to do a sequel that actually improves on the original. The film looks absolutely fantastic. Yes, the generic tropes are there. And yes, it is just a slight slasher flick. And a lot of a few people I know that have seen it have said, "Oh, I'd be more. I'm a bit disappointed if they turned their hand to that. It would have been cool to see them do something more interesting as a follow-up to American Mary." But what I find fascinating is when you put good directors in front of what would have been normally a subpar horror sequel. What turns out is actually a very, very well-made slasher film. And fans of the genre should definitely check it out. Cool. 
Um, I might try and squeeze in two here. They're both documentaries, and I don't think they need too much um, pouring over. But the first one of them is from one second to the next. The reason that I jumped on this thing is because it comes from the uh, stable of one Werner Herzog. I'll watch anything that he does, um, both you know documentaries and feature films, as Which you're well fair, aware. Yeah. Um, this one, it's only about 40 minutes. It's not a feature-length documentary, but it's available, I think, on UK Netflix at the moment, so people can check it out. Um, the reason for the existence of this thing is Werner goes and meets uh, folks who have been affected by road traffic accidents caused exclusively by text messaging whilst driving. Ooh, so it's a very tight focus on this topic. Um, it's not... Werner heavy you've not got those sort of you know describe an encounter with a squirrel moments that mm. you come to love from Werner's feature documentaries <laughs> but it's powerful stuff and if, if ever if ever a reminder was needed that when you're driving a car there is no reason that you need to be text messaging anybody answering any text message this you know if you needed convincing so it's is, a powerful powerful it, film. man yeah I, I won't get into the stories themselves but yeah needless to say devastation is caused by people who carelessly you know do this kind of thing midway through a, a journey and it's just not worth it and i think everybody's aware of that but it doesn't hurt to be reminded you know mm. <laughs> whilst i'm in a slightly preachy frame of mind i'll get to my final documentary which is a film called Vegucated from 2011. I actually showed this one to students recently and um, that was uh, relating to diet and health and things like that because Vegucated is a documentary by somebody called... Uh, I can't even read what my own writing... Uh, Miller, Miller Wolfson. Ma Mary Miller Wolfson, perhaps? I've botched my own handwriting. But anyway, it's a documentary all about the health benefits and lifestyle benefits of switching to a vegan or perhaps vegetarian diet. This is not something that I've done. I am not poor a vegan. I'm not me. a vegetarian. <laughs> yeah, Paul is not either. My girlfriend's vegetarian, so I guess at home now I don't eat a great deal of meat, if any, uh, whereas I eat meat and, and stuff outside. The reason, I guess, to, to check out something like Vegucated is just that it's very easy, again, to think, oh, yeah, I know that animals are treated cruelly, but I make the decision to eat meat and eat eggs and so on. When you hear things like free-range chickens that are spent, like they've produced all the eggs they can in their, in their natural life, are disposed of by being hung upside down, their heads submerged in water, and then the water run through with electricity, you think, you know, I like eggs but maybe I'll bear this in mind a little bit moving forward. And that's not to say, you know, to get all didactic. But does that not necessarily make it too one-sided to be a good documentary? Um, it does. I mean, the hook with this thing is that she just follows, she takes like three people from different walks of life and challenges them to become vegans. But these okay. are the kind of people who never would have done that from their of their own tradition. People, like, people like me. Right, exactly. <laughs> people who, who love steak and, and barbecues and whatnot. And then um, we follow them. It's pretty sort of amateurish looking. A lot of it is hand handheld cameras digital photography and stuff um, Michael Mann link back but uh, that's the only one you're going to get from Vegucated <laughs> but um, yeah I, I don't know it made me think anyway and I think it would make some other people think too so they give it a watch speaking of watching things something we had the uh, esteemed pleasure of watching I guess pleasure earlier this week was the Oscars ceremony 2015 a Eighty seventh annual Academy Awards, yes. Now we talked a bit about awards films and awards season and Oscar ceremonies in general a few weeks back. Um, yeah, it's one of those things, isn't it, where you don't really—I don't know. To me, the Oscars 
probably nothing like this, but a bit like, I don't know, going to the dentist. Because you've got to go to the dentist, you're going to inevitably go at some point, but it's not a great deal of fun. Um, the analogy doesn't, don't think about it too much, doesn't really work. I was just thinking about... But it's, yeah, at times kind of painful. Um, maybe... But other times entertaining? Yeah, maybe. Like the dentist. You can take something from it. No, you understand what I'm saying though, right? Like, I was always going to watch this Oscar ceremony, like pretty much every one of the last few years. I never thought that it was going to be a great deal of fun, really. I mean, there, there are moments it had its... I mean, for you, what did you see in that Oscar ceremony where you thought, yeah, that was nothing like The Dentist, it was really enjoyable? Surprisingly, I quite enjoyed the Lady Gaga performance yeah. from Sound of Music. Yeah. It was quite nice to see Julie Andrews. And at work today, I said, did anyone see that performance with Julie Walters? <laughs> um, in fact, the wrong Julie. But it was quite nice to see Julie Walters stroke Andrews yeah. on stage afterwards. That was quite a nice touch. She came and said, yeah, it was nice. And when and a uh, genuinely good performance. When Gaga started doing that, I had no idea why it was happening. And it just seemed like a real non sequitur in the middle of the, this thing just to shoehorn Lady Gaga in there. But it turns out it's 50 years since the release of sound music so that made sense and yeah it was good she's got a really good voice but who knew that um so yeah that was cool what else see anything else um yeah no go ahead have you got ideas glory the common and john legend track that was pretty inspiring to that live performance was good which is from the soundtrack of selma yeah um, yeah which was pretty much ignored yeah it really kind of weird because selma got let's say I, I don't like the word but it got snubbed to some extent didn't it Selma I mean it was nominated for best in picture in terms of nominations yes. David Yellowo missed out on being nominated as best actor which seems a bit strange it's a very strong performance but um, when they did that the the, uh, the the song on stage the performance at the Oscars it you know everybody was on their feet at the end applauding you saw people Chris Pine was it you saw with, like tears mm. running down his face um, it, obviously a pretty powerful moment but a bit funny that after that they said now we're going to give the award for best original song in a motion picture and you thought well at this point you can't really go ahead and give that to the Lego movie everything is awesome track or whatever when you've just had this rousing emotion, emotional performance by Common and John Legend so yeah it's a, it's a bit odd how they timed that I think the, mus- the musical numbers were good um, yeah it sounds pretty terrible that all we can think yeah, of is the, the, the music that... the, there was a nice little ditty at the beginning that was quite good fun yeah I mean we're kind of talking around the fact that we're going to get to in just a second a rundown of sort of the major winners and maybe losers to a degree and some of the, some and of the highlights exist Neil there, Patrick Harris as a host he's, he's come under a lot of fire I think reading, in, reading the press um, over the last few days I don't think he was actually too bad. His material was a little bit awkward, but I think you've just got... It's not. It's kind of like a poison chalice of a job, really. Yeah. Because people are there to see the awards and who wins. They're not really there to see the filler that goes around it. Right, and you've got to live host a show for like three hours. That's pretty challenging for the, even the most polished of entertainers. And I think Neil Patrick has did a reasonable job of keeping things moving and, and not getting too toe-curlingly awkward at any point. He, he, he had some moments. The whole the whole Oscar predictions in a boxing, I think, didn't, I yeah, didn't that, think really work. That dragged on. That and dragged that on seemed for to drag on. And some time. of the jokes, I think, I had an issue with with making jokes of the, about the shortcomings of the Academy. The jokes made about David Oyelowo not being nominated and about the, and making jokes about the white faces at the Oscars and it's it's fine to make those jokes but not when you're taking the Academy's payslip yeah I mean we commented on this at the time because we watched the ceremony together but it seems, feels a bit sometimes like and this doesn't isn't limit, limited to the Oscars ceremony itself to a lot of uh, you know Hollywood productions or, or ent- the entertainment world in general it seems now that it's okay to kind of 
make a joke about something to then therefore extricate yourself from any complicity in that thing. So if you're going to make a sort of slightly clever joke about how the Oscars might be inherently racist, that gets you off the hook for being in any way a part of that. But like you say, the guy's on the payroll of the people who make the Oscars. So it seems a bit convenient just to do kind of sly, winking, postmodern jokes about stuff um, Mm. and irony, you know, all the time as a a defence against ever saying anything of a real substance and on a night when you have things like that Selma performance on stage I think that sort of hammers home that it, I'd much rather see people delivering and some of the acceptance speeches as well there people was some really powerful acceptance speeches yeah. and then suddenly back to Neil Patrick Harris who seemingly couldn't respond well to the acceptance speeches being about some mention of suicide and some really poignant issues and then boom here's Neil Patrick Harris Pun, haha. Yeah, I mean, move Neil, on to next Neil Patrick Harris has never been someone known for his um, sort of heartfelt authenticity, though, has he? No, he's made a career off sort of um, sarcasm mm. and irony and, and that all the catchphrases of how I met your mother that just kind of get under my skin after a while. But yeah, I mean, all in all, it could have been a lot worse if I, I was involved. It wasn't terrible, it wasn't great, it certainly dragged. I think they could certainly do with cutting perhaps an hour out of it. Yeah. But they don't. It always seems to be three hours. Um, it was okay, the ceremony. On to the awards. The the, the the meat of the night. Yeah, we'll run through. I mean, we can't get to everything. and you, I don't think we'd want to do that. It would take ages. But um, the major awards, let's kick off with Best Supporting Actress, which went to Patricia, or Pat Arquette, as I like to call her. Pat's Arquette, um, Pat's, oh, Pat's Arquette won let's this Let's stick award. with Patricia, I think. Yeah. <laughs> what, what's, I mean, I think we're pretty much in agreement on this one, right? That was fully justified I think it was well deserved um, I think it, it's a fantastic performance in Boyhood which is in itself a fantastic film which you'll probably hear us say quite a lot tonight and yeah. probably quite a lot in the future good um, yeah well well deserved I think and, yeah uh, and, and you know if you have to pick out one moment from that movie because I enjoy doing that a lot talking like you say about Boyhood some more the moment in the kitchen in Boyhood when yes. Patricia Arquette says the line I thought there would be more to summarise the last 20 years of her life is to me one of the is going to stick with me for a long time it's one of those powerful moments in film in the last 12 months easily so yeah I think well deserved and, and yeah I think it was a fairly strong fairly strong nominees across the board I think Emma Stone probably not a long enough performance to justify it I don't yeah, think yeah she's only um, in a few scenes but she was good in the scenes that she was in yeah following up from that J.K. Simmons won Best Supporting Actor your take on this oh uh, shoe in absolute given again yeah. again quite a hard fought category with some really decent supporting performances in there Mark Ruffalo was in there who else did we have in there we had I uh, don't don't try and get me to list things off the top of my head no, without without, without notes let's focus on, on J.K. and his performance J.K. Simmons utterly deserved yeah. I think it was almost a given he was going to get it but and you know, was he rushing or was he tracking? Yeah. Like, I just, I just can't get enough of some of those those J.K. Simmons lines from Whiplash. But um, yeah, talking about you said the acceptance speeches that were heartfelt. J.K. Simmons smashed it so uh, far. J.K. Simmons the park. possibly one of the best, I, best speeches I, I've for seen me. It was the best actually, acceptance yeah. speech the whole thing. J.K. Simmons just went up um, and really earnestly said. Uh, if you are lucky enough to have a parent that you can contact now, contact them and tell them that you love them and that you care about them. And there was no irony, no joking around, no like quick, easy banter. Just here's my message that I want to deliver. I've now finished my message and I'm off. Mm. And yeah, it was a really wonderful. And I think underlined just what a, a, a good person as well as great actor J.K. Simmons seems to be. And so, you know, good on him. Yeah, really. and, and nice to see some love for Whiplash. 
in general. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And, and Damien Chazelle is just going to go from strength to strength, I think. Mm. And man, the dude's 31 years old. Oh, I feel ill. Um, so, best actress, Julianne Moore took this one. I haven't seen the film yet. It's not Neither out over I. here. The, the thing I find frustrating with watching the Oscars at times is just the, the release window across this side of the Atlantic. Yeah. I know it's an American film awards, but they are so it's renowned around the world. It, it is, is coming. coming out. Still Alice is the film that we're talking about and it's but coming it's frustrating soon for us. I would say I would it looks like it's a good performance. I'd say what I would say, and I would say the same thing about the best actor. What would you nomination, say? Tell me what, you would say. what I will say is this. Okay. It seems like oh someone someone's played someone with an illness and possibly one for that reason it, that may be a little bit cynical yeah. but it seems to be almost too easy to play someone with some form of disability <laughs> yeah. and then win an award for it yeah I mean I think that's that's an argument and a debate that a lot of people have, have sort of wrestled with and I think that it seems as if and again I'm going sort of sight unseen on these things but it seems that the, the trio of films that we might talk about here the theory of everything still Alice and Cake right under the remit of what mm. you've just mentioned um, it seems as if Still Alice is the one that I'm hearing most critically positive things mm. about. And I mean, let's not forget that the Academy is well known, and we talked about this earlier on, for awarding people who have got a, a sort of a, accumulated a lot of great work, like a body of work. Yeah, and Julia Moore is a prime yeah, example. In the case of, of Julia Moore, I think that that, to some five degree... Time, five has, times nominated previous, I think, right. this, so. And this is clearly a powerful, powerful performance and something she's invested a lot of herself in. Maps to the Stars was going to get a big push for Julia Moore coming up to the Oscars, and they dropped that idea that the the uh, promotion or whatever you call it, the campaign that we're talking about mm. was was scaled down and I think forgotten about for that film and I think it's a good performance in that movie but maybe if you're going to pick one it sounds like Stellar's the one to pick so mm. yeah I think it's the end of a, a road of great performances for Julianne Moore really um, best actor then went to your boy <laughs> one of the great actors of our generation so says Paul Eddie Redmayne how do you feel about Eddie Redmayne Paul Yep. There's a phrase that you've used a number of times in my company that goes something like... I, don't, I, don't, I, I won't say it, I won't say it. Because it's I'm a, sure he's a I, very nice I, man. Something, something, Eddie Redmayne. And neither of the two missing words are very positive or complimentary about uh, Eddie, our friend Eddie. But again, we haven't seen this performance, which sounds terrible because it's been on release for a, for a few weeks. So It has been. I think, I, again, I don't know, it just seems... Taking Eddie Redmayne out of the equation, I'd rather have seen this role go to an actor with a disability. Mm. I think that would have been a better way of doing things and much more progressive. Do you think that, that would be possible? Like, logistically, that's going to cause a, a lot more problems than... You know, you, this this is an issue that's come up a number of times with people playing people with disabilities of various kinds. And there's a broad spectrum here. And I don't know that in the case of the Stephen Hawking story, it would be it would be very difficult I think because obviously you've got to portray the part of his life in which he's not suffering from the condition mm. that he later suffered with. So then you can't switch out your actor midway. No, that's a fair It's point, a challenge. But... I mean, the, the thing for me with this is, and I fully confess that I haven't yet seen it, and part of that is because I, yeah, probably feeling a bit like you, I haven't rushed out to see it at the cinema. But there was, um, and I keep talking about this and not knowing the exact year, but there was a BBC drama that portrayed the life of Stephen Hawking. With Benedict Cumberbatch? Right, in yeah. a fairly, I think so, yeah, in a fairly similar period of time, charting this, you know, the, the onset of his condition. And I enjoyed that, I thought it was really well made. And when this thing got greenlit and, and sort of the trailer came out and it was going to be at the cinema, I felt a bit like it, not that it's redundant, it's a film about, you know, a great mind who's been through so much, but... Like I've kind of seen a film that covers this topic. I think my well. issue with it is it's just 
it's almost just a given the Oscar was going to him. He's played a historical figure with issues in a worthy film. And again, I'm saying this not having seen it, admittedly, but it seems very much like it was it was just an awards bait film. And that's why... I mean, in, in its defence, he's clearly collaborated very closely with the Hawking family. They seem very pleased with the result. And I'm sure, from what I've seen of it, I'm sure it is a great... I'm sure it is a decent performance. Yeah. No matter what I think of Eddie Redmayne. Is it inappropriate, because we're saying all this quite serious stuff about this movie, to say that... Did you notice when he did his speech, he made a couple of comments that sounded awkwardly like his Oscar could be replaced with his penis? When he was saying, like, I'm going to take it home and I'll take care yeah, of it. It was, a very awkward, it was a very awkward speech and certainly didn't enamour me any further to... Uh, <laughs> How Mr. old Redmayne. is the Eddie Redmayne, by the way? Because he looks like 12, but is he, what, like 35? I don't know. I have no no concept of how old he is. I have no idea. Um, I, I'm not a huge fan of his. Well played on, on the Oscar. I would have rather seen it go to Keaton for, for similar reasons to what we've just talked about with the Julianne Moore thing. And I actually, I was quite surprised, despite what we've just said about this being a kind of expected Oscar for a worthy role of a, of a great man with disabilities... I was kind of surprised it didn't go to Keaton and a little bit disappointed. Yeah, it seemed like that might be coming and mm. then it didn't materialise. But obviously, well, bringing us on to our next award, Bird, uh, awards, excuse me, Birdman didn't do too badly. Uh, Birdman did all right for itself, I night. think, at the expense of um, Boyhood, unfortunately. Yeah, so the winner of Best Picture, I'm sure everybody's aware at this and point, Best was Director, of course, as well. Inuratu's uh, movie Birdman, which we covered on the show before. We talked about at decent length a couple of episodes ago. Um, it's a good film. It's definitely. A good it's film. a very good film. Yeah, very. Yeah, it's an interesting film. Well shot, well put together. Um, it's not boyhood. Certainly, though, lot, lots to like in Birdman, but no, as you say, it's not boyhood. Yeah, and I mean, it's so difficult. You, you know, even if for the most sort of um, dismissive observer of the Oscars, it, it's very difficult to put these films against each other and then come out with what's supposed to be some sort of objective decision because you've got a film uh, you know biopic about the life of Stephen Hawking next to the thing about that terrible movie disregard that about Chris Kyle and his unmoving face and shooting you know savages or whatever um, but you've got such different kinds of films and then you put Birdman next to Boyhood how do you even compare those two movies really? it's difficult to compare I think I'm a, I, it's difficult to compare the two I just think I'm a little bit disappointed perhaps Perhaps best director to Unarati for Birdman, but I just think Boyhood is such a staggeringly well-made film. And I think it was almost a little bit predictable that it was going to go to Birdman, because Birdman, again, was made and released for Oscars. It was released in that window, and it was so nice when, when Boyhood and a Grand Budapest Hotel got nominated for Oscars. because... They weren't Oscar They'd bait. stuck around They'd for quite been there well. for quite some time. Yeah. And yeah, I was just disappointed. And, and, I, and I, this is going to sound really sad considering I've said, you know, I don't really look forward to the Oscar ceremony, which I don't. But over the weekend leading up to the Oscars, I was just ro- heavy rotating that track by uh, Family of the Year, which is Hero is the, the track yeah. that you've seen. Everybody, you'll know it if you've seen the trailer to Boyhood or the film itself, because it's the song that you love. You might not know who wrote it, who sings it, but it's this band. Found of the year. a little plug there you know for, for those guys because I envisaged in my mind that it would get to best picture they would reveal that it was boyhood they'd shoot the picture of his face the boy that we saw grow up uh, that song would kick in they'd get onto the stage people would be like crying and embracing each other it just felt like this amazing crescendo to the ceremony and it didn't it I didn't actually happen. briefly wanted American Sniper to win best picture did you really though? I did because can you imagine Sean Penn right. having to prevent present Clint Eastwood with an Oscar 
for American Sniper. Yeah. I can't imagine Sean Penn would write American might Sniper. Have been like like a, that might have been amusing. Yeah, it might have opened up some kind of vortex on the stage where, yeah. you know, the whole fabric of time Left sort of and right. it in on itself. Yeah. But, um, but no, moving on, I just disappointed. Oh, good thing about the Oscars, man. One of the highlights for me, American Sniper was largely ignored. It won one award, <laughs> which was for a best sound editing, but nothing else as far as I and can remember. Nice, and Interstellar, also largely ignored in most categories, mm. actually picked up best visual effects, which was nice that Interstellar got because I yeah. love it. and it's funny that sort of relativism as well because thinking so much recently or at least when we did the review and you know at the screening about something like American Sniper that just you know made me pretty angry um, when I look back I mean on, I didn't like the film you straight up hated it right when I look back on Interstellar and I remember when we did the, the bit on Interstellar and I had some you know not so positive things to say but when you look at those two films side by side man I just crave watching Interstellar again because you know it just gets me way out of the headspace of that kind of filmmaking so yeah I mean all in all I'll watch the Oscars again next year next year what will happen is some things that you want to win will not win you'll get momentarily annoyed about it and then if you're anything like me you'll kind of forget about it a few days later you know that's the way I feel what yeah, about I, you, man? yeah I'm still disappointed on Boyhood but ultimately it it doesn't really matter Boyhood I think will long term be remembered more fondly than Birdman and that's not to say Birdman's a bad film because it is not a bad film No, but and it is a worthy I think in any other year if Boyhood hadn't been there I'd have said absolutely Birdman yeah yeah, I, you hit the nail on the head, though, man. I think that that it's going to be time is the judge of true quality, right? And I think that ten years from now, twenty years from now, there are going to be people going back to Boyhood to experience what Richard Linklater managed to achieve over those dozen years. Whereas I think that not the Birdman's going to be sort of lost to history, but I don't think it's going to be a significant mark on the on the landscape no, come so. you know, a decade from now. So. Yeah, so that kind of wraps it up in the Oscars. But we are going to swing straight into uh, the third section of the show in which we will detail, Paul? We will detail six of the best Oscar losers, I think is yeah, how we described it. Well, it's kind of, losers sounds quite negative. But, but yeah, he's got the, he, Paul's got the basic <laughs> idea here. What we're going to go for is, like, also rounds. Let's call it also rounds, I suppose. Um, films that were nominated as best picture over the last... What did we decide? Like six, five, six years since they brought out the long list, yeah. uh, which is nine and ten films rather than five. And um, from that crop, we will pick out six of the best. Okay, so first one that springs to mind for me, um, not necessarily better than the film that won in 2010, which was Hurt Locker, which I think is quite a deserving Best Picture winner. But I think it would also would have been happy with the Coen Brothers' um, darkly comic A Serious Man, if that had taken away a... Uh, yeah, an Oscar. Going Never through, likely to, but going through this last like half dozen years of the long list, this stands out because I think it is a film by a significant. Well, in this case, not filmmaker, but filmmakers that even pretty big film fans might have let slip. It might have gone flown under the radar for a lot of people because although it was Oscar nominated, I don't think it was very widely seen. No, and even for a Coen's, a Coen's normally are quite widely released and this, I would agree with you, did, did slip under the radar. It was a minor release. I mean, I wasn't in the UK when this came out, so um, I, I saw it elsewhere, but I remember coming out of the theatre and just a big smile on my face because this is a, a comedy of, of manners about Jewish culture um, based around a sort of the, the pressures and difficulties involved in the life of someone coming from a pretty um, overbearing family with a lot of responsibilities, both familiarly and, and religiously. But it plays 
this yeah this you know, sort of blackly comic darkly comic tone really really well throughout. it's a very very funny film and, and it really is of recent times one of my favourite Coen Brothers films and that sounds quite limited because we're talking just about the Coen Brothers and just you know modern era but I think that's recommendation enough really because if you are into film there's a good chance you're into the Coen Brothers if you're into the Coen Brothers and you haven't seen this yeah definitely check out Serious Man very understated performance from the lead as well a very, yeah. very very good film yeah and like you said Hurt Locker is a great movie too they're incredibly incredibly different so this is this thing there's a, a broad spectrum don't miss out on things that maybe didn't have all the bombast of something like mm. uh, Hurt Locker so, um, in a, uh, to follow on from that one, we're moving, what, to 2011, 2012? What have we got next? 2011, I think. And there's two films here in 2011. I think King's Speech won Best Picture. Um, yeah. I think it's more of a performance film than it was a great film. It was very lavishly put together, and it's, King's Speech is a good film. I don't think it's, it was as good as either Inception or Winter's Bone. Again, two very different films. Yeah, so in the year that you get this massively trumpeted sort of prestige British production that again um, not, not not trying to sort of big league anyone but I was not in the country this time so I watched it somewhere else but I just remember from Canada at that point having it little feeling as if it was sort of thrust down my throat this thing all the time trailers for King's Speech King's Speech King's Speech and as you say these two films stood behind it the Oscars didn't win and they are pretty incredible in very different ways I mean let's get to um, first of all Inception I'm not it's not a secret that I'm a big fan of Christopher Nolan and I think actually Inception was just a clever well put together blockbuster that had that was just not what Nolan does so well which is a combination of brains and awesome action scenes Uh, and I think it would have been quite nice for the Oscars to finally do you know what we'll give it to sci-fi right we will give it to sci-fi it's a crowd pleaser, which a lot of people have criticised the Oscars for not being this year. It took a hell of a lot of money. It a- appealed to a wide audience, was widely critically loved. Yeah, and, just, and I thought it might have been the year. I thought maybe it'll be Inception. Yes, they'll give it. To but it has. No but it has a brain, as you said. Yeah. You know, it's it's a hugely successful blockbuster movie that has a brain, makes you think, and sets up some really interesting set pieces and situations. And it's awesome. I mean. I, I I hate to say that I still like we've, I've said about things like Interstellar and Christmas in general I think that there's sort of a, a slightly bloodless uh, emotional uh, or a, a approach to emotions that Chris Nolan maybe struggles with but I don't think that particularly matters in the case of Inception because it's just a fantastic spectacle so I think it's rightfully on this list and then following on from that very very different um, film which is Winter's Bone starring and kind of star making I think it was the film that launched her it absolutely is Jennifer Lawrence we're talking about here who is now a gigantic uh, you know Hollywood star at this time little known what 17 18 year old when when Winter's Bone was filmed at least and um John Hawkes has a fantastic, makes a fantastic performance as you would expect from John Hawkes in this this movie. Um, it's very very dark. It's very very bleak. It's set in this kind of a chilly, constantly grey and blue environment. You know that kind of cold, frosty palette, and um, it's it's there's not a lot of laughs to be had in. No, it's a Winter's grim Bone. film. It's it's a really really engaging drama. Really and, powerful you know, drama. And as well, I think. It's interesting for fans of Jennifer Lawrence to look back even only as far as 2011 and just to see where she started and just how good she how good she can be because it's a fantastic central performance from her yeah and I think she's done good work since but I think yeah really anybody who's got into the the bigger Jennifer Lawrence pictures now 
is would be well served to go back to this mm. because yeah I know a number of people who are big Jennifer Lawrence fans but have never got round to Winter's Bone it was Oscar nominated it got some attention but I think it needs more so yeah again very worthy place on the list moving forward then from there what have we got next we've got uh, 2012 up next the year the artist won best picture quite a divisive film the artist I I thought the artist was okay it was not it was a nice Hark back it was two nice. silent films. It yeah. was nice, and that's a horrible nice. word to use. It sounds it, really damning, but it, it does. It's but absolutely it was, it was just nice, and there wasn't much substance to it. And it's just like, okay, if you're going to make silent films again, fine, do that. But let's not just make a silent film like they used to be made. Let's let's take silent films and incorporate that into a modern filmmaking technique, and make a modern silent film, and just go. Do you know what? We can take all that we've learned from filmmaking, and not just make essentially a museum piece a, a complete homage to old school silent filmmaking I'd love to have seen a silent I'd, love to, I'd like to see silent cinema making resurgence but in a modern way but I mean on the flip side of the artist Berenice Beju and the little dog are very very cute aren't they in combination <laughs> and I mean it's the kind of film that will if you're in the right mood it will sort of charm you and melt your heart but yes in the, in the same year the film that should have won uh, again proved a little bit certain scenes proved divisive but I'm sorry i make no apology for being a huge fan of Terence Malick Tree of Life yeah what a film yeah I, I'm totally with you on this I mean we've kind of constructed this list in collaboration because I think we agree pretty much on all, all these films and uh, Tree of Life is one of those films that sticks with you for a very long time and I think um, shows also kind of connecting back to Boyhood this year it shows really really acutely some of the experience of growing up of childhood, of early childhood in particular, and the dynamic between particularly male siblings, brothers, and sort of father-son relationships as well. And those are the things that I remember most from Tree of Life. You know, there's a lot of attention paid to the CGI part with the dinosaur and the evolutionary stuff and the amazing Which visuals. I happen to think works. And, and, you know, and I agree with you. I think those, those bits are dazzling, and I think they do work. But I think what really sticks with me about this is those father-son things and the interplay between the brothers and, and how that resonated at least with me and I think personally with, with quite a lot of individuals who, who saw this film so yeah I mean you've probably got stuff to add to this but uh, Tree of Life yeah anything else just just Malik essentially I mm. mean To the Wonder was a little bit disappointed in his most recent film but I think Tree of Life is just an example of him doing what he does best yeah it's contemplative in the right places and visually fantastic yeah and he's so devoted to what he's doing as well that we were talking earlier about um, this kind of winking ironic or post-ironic humour that you know it protects you against all criticism Terence Malick has none of that here and it's very easy to try oh we can poke fun at the long takes and the wind in the trees and the, the flowy Jessica Chastain dress but you can laugh at that if you want but he does it so well he absolutely believes it as well and he does it so well that he kind of rises above that it's the same same sort of thing with Lynch you could easily parody Lynch you could easily parody Malick but what they do they do so well and they believe it have a a go at them try it because they'll still do it a damn sight better than you will yeah and uh, I can't uh, move on to the next film without mentioning that this is the film where whilst in Canada where I went to the box office to buy a couple of tickets to this and the person on the window said are you sure and the reason they said are you sure is because they'd had some silly number like like 50 people who had come back in the, the week that it had been running to ask for a refund because they were so appalled by the kind of slow-moving, non 
Brad Pitt in any kind of you know recognizable role uh, action or lack thereof of the Tree of Life. So I'll always remember that experience, and I'll always remember this for being a really good but film. But certainly, yeah, certainly for me, one of the best films of that year, and I think you know a more deserving film than The Artist. Which brings us nicely to a more. 2013. Yeah, I mean, I think when we went to do this list was the first film that, maybe the first film that we both sort of came up with that was going to go on the list. Right, right? It, 2013 is the year that Argo won Best Picture. I, I still, to my day, cannot wrap my head around this. Argo is a three-star thriller. Scoot McNary's in it. Scoot McNary's in it. It's okay. Yeah. But I can't understand that... Yeah, Literally, that, I saw the result and thought... What? That's exactly Argo. The I mean, there's a whole Ben Affleck backstory that we could get into, but we're not going to. But yeah, the point is, Argo is like Paul says. I, I think is a sort of reasonably good film. It, it's fine. Um, it's yeah. We were saying that Birdman's a, a reasonably good film, or we mentioned it about. A it's a much better film than Argo. Birdman's a far better film than Argo for sure. But yeah, in that year, the point is, a more was overlooked. The more Michael Haneke's a more was overlooked. It was it was quite nice to see that it got nominated in best foreign language picture and best picture. Mm. But I think. It, I, just one of the most powerful things I think anyone can ever watch mm. is a more. It's just it's devastating in a good way. I think if if that's the right thing to say, I just think it's I think it's a masterpiece of filmmaking. Yeah, I mean, there's been this criticism levelled at Michael Haneke that he tends to, or some believe that he tends to be slightly. Um, to sort of be telling off the audience, you know, mm. whether it's for their uh, complicity. Well, he kind of does in Funny Games, and he, he almost admitted to it. Yeah, but. yeah, and, and I understand that criticism, but I think, and there's huge tonal differences between Michael Haneke's output, but there's this through line of kind of serious, addressing serious issues head on and not flinching. You know, not flinching when it gets to the difficult uh, subject matter or the difficult scene or the difficult um, interactions. And I think there's a lot in this film of rather than sort of hard nosed, punishing, um, preachy direction. I think there's a lot of grace and there's a lot of empathy and there's mm. a lot of humanity in a more. And I, I can't quite relate to people who've, who've missed that. And Yeah, and I mean, as, as sad a film as it is, and it does, it said it does have some, some horrible moments in it. It is still ultimately, if you if you think about it, it is ultimately still a very uplifting film. I mean, the title of the film is Love. Yeah. And it is ultimately a film about love more than it is about illness and sort of an elderly couple and a woman having a stroke. Yeah. Um, so it is a very, very powerful film. And ultimately, I think on second viewing, it becomes strangely uplifting, mm. I think, despite being difficult to watch. And certainly has a lot, a lot more to say for itself than Argo. Yeah, it's, uh, the, the bar was low with that one. Mm. Um, yes, and this moves us on to um, what have we got? The final film of the six of six of the best. Yeah, it's not really number one. These are six of the yeah, best. Yeah, just They're six not of order. the best. We've done it chronological, I think. But ne yeah, this Nebraska one. Oh, I'd love to lead into this one, Nebraska, uh, for so many reasons. But this was an experience unlike almost any that I've had in the cinema in recent years, because here was a film, Nebraska, that had. At its heart, this again, we're talking about a more and the humanity and the grace at the heart of a more. It's a different story here, in Nebraska. Um, Bruce Dern is leading the cast. Mm, it's something that Alexander Payne, the director, taps into fantastically yeah. in all of his films, I and, think. But. And it's all about Bruce Dern, the, his character's journey to claim on a ticket that is clearly bogus and maybe he doesn't even believe in, but gives him the propulsive force to do something in the last or later days of his life. And with him, he sort of inadvertently takes along his his son and the film really explores the relationship between the two of them that has existed over 
a large number of years. But when I saw this in the cinema, yeah, so many reasons to remember it, not least that, and I talked about this before we put, or when we put these down the list, this film was one where I went with my girlfriend and we, the exact same beats of this film, the, the laughs, the, the quieter, sadder moments, the heartfelt moments, we were responding in precisely the same way. And there's so much, I think, to be said for having that experience with another person mm. in the cinema because you feel so in kind of lockstep when you walk out of the screening that it is a really, really uplifting, quite powerful uh, feeling to have, I think. But yeah, you had your own experience. I mean, what? No, again, I, no, I, I absolutely love the film. I thought Bruce Dillon was fantastic. And again, 12, talking about what one best picture that year, 12 Years a Slave. Fairly deserving winner, I think. And I'm not yeah. saying Nebraska is any better. I just think it, at least Bruce Dern should have got the, the best actor. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Bruce Dern was absolutely, I just took from that, Bruce Dern was absolutely fantastic. And it's just a very, very June, heartfelt June Squibb, film. June Squibb in this as well is. And surprisingly, Will Fort is. Yeah. It was not someone I'm normally a fan of, but it turns in a very good performance. I just yeah, think all it was three, just, really, really, really strong performances. It just would have been nice for it to win something. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree. But I mean, ultimately, to put a a line underneath this list, the purpose of our list is not to say, you know, necessarily this film should have won and that didn't win. Although Argo should not have won. Yeah, we can agree on that. Um, (laughs) But it is really just to say that from all the things that have got nominations over the last five or six years, when they've been doing this long list, it's easy, I think, for people to miss out on some of the real gems that were hidden away there that maybe didn't quite fit the parameters that the Academy goes for in terms of its best picture. For example, this year, people might miss out on the chance to see American Sniper because it didn't win the best picture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, please, please, we, you know, compel you, find a hard-to-find copy of American Sniper at your local art house cinema and take in all the textures of that movie. But, yeah, the, the point was that really, after the whole we kind of wanted Boyhood to win and it lost out to something else that was maybe a bit more razzle-dazzle, uh, we thought this list really serves to push some films that we think are, are well worth pushing and, and talking about and, and having a chance to see, maybe for the first time, maybe for the second or third time in the case of some people. Yeah, absolutely. And that pretty much brings us to the end of end of today's show, I think. Um, obviously, we've covered off a lot about the Oscars. We've done a lot of reviews and that kind of thing. We're going to try and attempt... To business as usual with a website. This is not very confident. Try and attempt. We're going to try and attempt. We're going to do both. We're going to try and attempt, which I think should be confidence-inspiring. We're going to do some writing, Pete. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have got all caught up in this Oscars shenanigans and, and the podcast has mm. been moving apace. But, yeah, we have got a backlog of things. We have loads of filmmakers have been getting in touch with us, submitting short films, longer films and so on. So we are sorry to all of those people, earnestly and sincerely sorry, but we are going to have a glut of reviews and pieces coming out on the site. One of which, Paul, we were going to mention is... Uh, uh, kind of opinion piece, talk piece, an on, alternative take to our opinion on the Oscars. On the, yeah. on the Oscars. Ceremony. On this is Oscars. We've actually been connected up with a new writer who's coming on board to do uh, some some pieces for the site, and one of those, which we'll lead with from her, is going to be this piece on the Oscars. So really excited about that. It'd be great to put that up. Other than that, that pretty much wraps it up for today, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. We just want to mention the normal things, which is you can get at us on Facebook. Easiest way to comment on any of our opinions as misguided or on the money as they might be is on the Facebook page. Otherwise, you can find us on Twitter. That is at Strangers Cinema. Um, all of our podcasts are hosted on SoundCloud. Um, you can find that SoundCloud page. It's the name of the site. iTunes. Yeah, Stitcher. iTunes, Stitcher, Double Twist, all those places. Um, if you want to email us directly, you can go through Facebook or you can go through our Gmail, which is strangersinacinema at gmail.com. It's or 
Just check out the website, which is www.strangecinema.com. Absolutely, yeah. All roads basically lead back to the website. And as we say, we're going to push more time and energy into that going forward. So by the time we do the next podcast in a couple of weeks' time, we'll have some updates from the site and some of the things that we can do. We'll read our words and perhaps not just listen to them. Yeah, those are fine words. We are both uh, great, great writers of our our generation. Uh, Much heralded. We would hope. But that's about it for today. So Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone who has. Uh, Tell your friends, spread this around share it and stuff it doesn't take a long time but we massively appreciate it until next time it's goodbye from me pete and goodbye from me paul